the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can find a Bible almost anywhere. We all know when we go to hotels how often we find them in drawers. There's a whole ministry built upon making sure that Bibles are accessible to everyone everywhere. And while it's a good intention, it has unintended consequences. Today's gospel is one of these gospels that is, and this is quite false. But the way you would know that is by listening to the hymns of the church and knowing the teachings of the church. You see, we have such a profound treasury in this church, and we so often take it for granted. And I speak for myself. I was preparing for the homily, and I thought, I'll read through all the hymns from the Vespers and the Orthros. Just the Vespers and the Orthros. And my eyes were open. The entire narrative of what was occurring was fully revealed. And even then, I wouldn't say fully revealed, just much more revealed. There's nothing like our church on earth. This is not another religion. This is the teaching of the fullness of God. In every single service, we have these profound hymns that teach us the truth. Not just a small part of it. Not just a piece of it. Not just this one portion of the truth, which is the Bible. The fullness. Everything. It's right at our fingertips, my brothers and sisters. And we don't reach out and touch it. If you were here during Orthros, you might have heard it. You see, God in his wisdom, through the church in her wisdom, has ordained that we should all be constantly taught the fullness of the truth. And so we have these books and books and books of hymns that are used in the service throughout the year. The one time that we all get a little bit more of a taste of that is during Holy Week. We have our little black book. And hopefully we're following along with that. And we see all these hymns. And if we're actually following along, what happens again and again? We're pierced. We're pierced by the words, by these profound truths that are in these hymns. They're not in the Bible. They're in something that is a part of the fullness of the truth. And so it's only during Holy Week that often we experience this constant revelation and realization. But I tell you, it's always at our fingertips. It's always there. Today is a great feast of the church. Today is the feast of Antipasca, or the feast of the Sunday of Thomas. This is when we switch gears after having the week of Pascha, of brightness, a bright week of renewal, and now we begin on the Sundays that follow Pascha. So this is the second Sunday. And today we celebrate Thomas. And we celebrate, as the icon over there says, not the doubting of Thomas, the touching of Thomas. This is what the church is celebrating today. Is that St. Thomas touched the resurrected Christ. A hymn from one of the services. 
O Lord who loves humanity, great and incomparable is the abundance of your compassion, who endured with such forbearance as you were struck by the Jews, as you were touched by your apostle. And even those who rejected you were obsessed with you. How did you become incarnate? How could you, O sinless one, be crucified? But we pray to you, give us the sense to join Thomas in saying to you, my Lord and my God, glory to you. I'll share just a few things that I learned as reading, or I learned more deeply as reading the hymns today, for today. The first that I noticed was in the Apolitikion of the feast today, what we just sang after the small entrance. It says, O Lord, you rose from the sepulcher, even though the tomb was secured with a seal, O Christ our God. Then, although the doors were shut, you came to your disciples, a resurrection of all. We know he came in even though the doors were shut. And forgive me if I'm more ignorant than all of you, but did you realize Christ resurrected without the tomb being open? Did you realize that? He resurrected without the tomb being open. The tomb was opened just so that we could all see that. It was opened by the angels. But Christ didn't go out through the door of the tomb, at least not with the tomb door open. This is what we learn just from this hymn. Just as he walked through those shut doors to his apostles, he walked out of the closed tomb with the seals still unbroken. And again in another hymn it says, O giver of life, you did not break the seals that secured your tomb. And likewise, after your awesome rising from the sepulcher, you unhindered entered the room where your glorious apostles were, the doors being shut. Another thing that we realize from the hymn, the hymns, is that Thomas's unbelief is called good. It says, O good disbelief of Thomas, O kali apistia to Thoma. The disciples still doubted, the hymn says. Did we read that in the Gospels? Is it anywhere in the Gospels that it says to us the disciples actually still doubted? This is what the hymns reveal to us. The disciples still doubted that on the eighth day the Savior came to where they were. O good disbelief of Thomas, for it has led believers' hearts to knowledge. And in another place it says, a marvel, let's marvel at this paradox, disbelief engendered firm belief. You see, everything is according to God's providence. And so God had allowed that when he came to the disciples, Thomas wouldn't be there. Why? So that we can all experience the touching of the side of Christ. So that we can all experience he is resurrected in his humanity. Of course, his divinity never died, but in his humanity, he's resurrected. Why? Because there's a physical body that can be touched. And don't underestimate that touching of the side. Don't underestimate that. That is profound, what was allowed to Thomas. What did our Lord say to Mary in the garden? Don't touch me. Don't touch me. So it's a very special thing that Thomas touched the side of our Lord, confirming that he is our Lord and our God. One of the hymns beautifully said this about what occurred in the touching of Thomas. Grass touched fire and survived. 
Thomas put his hand to the fiery side of Jesus Christ, our God, and touching it, did not, it did not burn him up. Where kept, I'm sorry, who kept the disciple's hand from being burnt up when it approached the fiery side of the Lord? Who gave it the daring? And it was able to touch the flaming bone. By all means, it was the very side that was touched. For had not the side empowered the right hand of clay? This is the same God who created the disciple of clay. How could it have touched the wounds that shook the world above and below? These are the same wounds. Remember, if you were listening to those hymns during Holy Week, heaven and earth shuddered at seeing Christ crucified. These same wounds are the ones that made the entire creation shudder. And here's Thomas touching them. The grace that was given to Thomas to be able to touch it and cry out to Christ, you are my Lord and my God. Lastly, one of the hymns says, he took away their fear and gave them peace instead. We all noticed how he came to them and said, peace. And he came again and said, peace to them. But did we think he's exchanging, he's making an exchange. I'll take away your fear and I will give you peace. Because as we know, the doors were shut for the fear of the Jews. And in case you weren't sure that the disciples were still doubting what happens one week later, the doors are shut for the fear of the Jews. But you notice after this, the disciples have no fear. That's what they received from Christ. When they received peace from him, no more fear. And they go out and do things that are shocking and incredible and miraculous the rest of their lives, even to their martyrdoms. And all of this because Christ gave them this great peace. So I want to give a little bit of thought about receiving peace from our Lord. Because it's something we all want. Who doesn't want peace? You should all raise your hands. I want peace, right? Everyone wants peace. And yet no one really knows how to get peace. We can have it when things are good. We call that peace, but that's actually not peace. That's just things being good. So peace is when things are not going well. And we remain calm. We remain, un, as the church would say, dispassionate or passionless. There's a saint that we commemorate today, and I'll use his life to give some examples. But before that, what I'd like to say is the, there are three simple ways to become more peaceful. You can write these down. Humility, patience, and forgiveness. Through these three things, we can enter into the peace of God. They're not easy by any means. To be humble, which means to not exalt ourselves. To be patient, which means to endure struggles. And to offer forgiveness, which means to be no longer in turmoil over the wrongs that people have done against us. Or continue to do against us. Or do against us right now and here in church. Saint Hieronymus of Simonopetra is the saint that I would like to offer to you today. It's a mouthful, 
St. Hieronymus. And St. Hieronymus, that's the English translation, will be Jerome. He's one of the five saints that were canonized most recently. We had Elder Joseph, the Hezekas, Ephraim of Katanakia, Daniel of Katanakia, Sophroni of Essex, and Hieronymus of Simonopetra. So I'll help you remember the name a little bit more. His name is Jerome, so you can remember that. Or you can say the, the proper name in Greek, Hieronymus. And he's from Simonopetra, which is the monastery on the rock. Simon's Rock Monastery on Mount Athos. It's the one that you always see photographs of. So he was the abbot of that monastery at one point. St. Hieronymus exuded peace. And we see these three characteristics of humility and patience of, and forgiveness in his life. He was a contemporary of St. Nectarios, a little bit younger than St. Nectarios. He reposed in 1957, but he became a monk in the 1880s at Simonopetra, and he did many menial jobs there. One of the older monks at the monastery said that he consumed more, uh, more kerosene than water, more kerosene in his lamp than water that he drank, because he was constantly at night in prayer and in reading of the scriptures, of the hymns of the church, what I was speaking about earlier, digging deeply into what the church has offered us of truth. And so he did many menial jobs. He was praised by many, and yet he kept on eschewing the praise, kept on pushing it away. Eventually, he was even made the abbot of Simonopetra. The, the abbot, there was an abbot of the monastery, and on his deathbed, his wish was that Hieronymus become the abbot. And he never, but he never sought it. So he was made the abbot of this famous and well-known monastery at a time when he went to Mount Athos in the 1880s, there were 10,000 monks on Mount Athos. To give you an idea, right now there are around 2,000 monks. So there are a huge number of monks, a huge monastic revival at the time. And he became the abbot of Simonopetra, but maintained his humility, always did the low jobs, was up late at night doing jobs that people didn't notice, he would, uh, in monasteries, they have the readings during the meal, and there's always someone who reads. And he would often do the reading during the meal so that he could eat afterwards, so that it would be hidden how much he was fasting, because he would rarely eat his full portion of what was given at the, the meals. He, like all saints, endured struggles, and like all of us, endured struggles. And so his patience became very clear when he had uh, two, two major scandals, if you will. One was the change of the calendars. And he was, as the, the, uh, a monk on Mount Athos, he was also in charge of going to what are called dependencies of the monastery, which are little, um, you could call them colonies, if you will, a little church here or there, or a little monastery here or there. There was one in Athens that he went to many times and he was there when this change of the calendars happened, and he served a liturgy with the new calendar. When he went back to Mount Athos, the, some of the monks, he's the abbot of the monastery, and some of the monks would not permit him to come into the church for six months. And for six months, he patiently endured this. And finally, they repented, they let him into the church, and he served with them. 
Another time when he was again away from the monastery, he was slandered. They said that he had done some financial mismanagement of the monastery. When he came back to the monastery, they exiled him and he went to another monastery on Mount Athos for six months. Even after just a few months at that new monastery, they treated him with such great respect, receiving wisdom from him. And finally, the monastery he was at, they brought him back. He said, temptations are as necessary as breathing. Temptations are like the waves of the sea. Without waves, one cannot travel. Without temptations, one cannot be saved. And so we see in these struggles that he faced, like St. Nectarios, but smaller struggles compared to St. Nectarios, he offered forgiveness no matter what. Forgiveness through this. Even as someone's slandering him, even as people are barring him from the church, he never missed a service. Never. But he was barred from the church for those six months, and yet he forgave and patiently endured. So St. Hieronymus exhibits these three qualities of humility and patience and forgiveness. These truly are the path towards peace. If I say to you, do you want to be humble? In honesty, a lot of times you might say no. Can you be patient? No, that's difficult too. Can you forgive? That's difficult too. But between all of these, we find a life that is more peaceful. A life in which we are no longer in turmoil inside of ourselves. Because we can have peace on the outside, but our inside can be completely in turmoil. My brothers and sisters, read the hymns of the church. Follow along. If you can't go to a service, read them. If you need to know where to access them, I can tell you. Ages is a wonderful website. Every single day they have the hymns of the church. And you can read these and be enlightened and have things revealed to you that otherwise are inaccessible. It's all here. It's all within the church. And may this grant you peace. Amen.